Today we're going to continue our series entitled Do It For A Day, the devotional book that we've been doing by Mark Batterson. And uh, I just want to go ahead and wish you a little congratulations. Today is day 15 of our 21 days of prayer and fasting. And so uh, we are two-thirds of the way there. We're on our last week. And uh, this coming Sunday, a week from today, next Sunday, uh, we're going to have a special day. Because next Sunday is January the 30th. You just saw it in the announcements. We're going to have a family fun day. And we're going to break our fast together. Can I get a shout of praise for that? Right? We're going to break our fast together, and uh, we're going to do that with a chili and soup luncheon. And so this is what I need you to do. I need you to bring some food so we can eat. Right? It's just pretty much that simple. So I need everybody to bring a soup or a chili or a dessert to share and bring it next Sunday. And go ahead and make sure to plan on staying and hanging out. Let me, let me just encourage you in something. It's not enough for us to do the discipline part of prayer and fasting. I hope you've been praying. I hope you've been fasting. I hope you're experiencing some things. But I want to encourage you to do something. Let's not just pray and fast together. But let's Sunday, next Sunday, let's celebrate together, right? Let's celebrate. We're going to have food. We're going to have fun. I mean, no, nothing says a party like food, right? So we're going to eat a lot of good soups and chilies. We're going to ask you to register on the Liberty Church app. Click on the form tab and just sign up to bring whatever you're going to bring and bring it next Sunday and plan on hanging out. We're going to have a hayride, as you saw, Jonathan. We're going to have Guatemalan s'mores. If you don't know what that is, we're going to let you wait and find out next Sunday. It will change your life. Okay, so it's just going to be that good. We're going to have a big bonfire. And if you guys remember, last month we celebrated something. We celebrated the fact that last month we paid off our debt at our Arab campus. Almost a million dollars worth of debt. Paid off 17 years early. 17 years early. And we're going to be burning the deed next Sunday on that bonfire out in our fire pit. So we want you to come out and celebrate. Plan on staying, hang out with the kids. We're going to have a great time. And so no excuse. We want you to be here. If you're watching online and you're in driving distance, you ought to drive here next Sunday and come and be a part of what God is doing because we're going to have a great time together. So today what we're going to do is we're going to kind of dive a little bit deeper into what we have been studying through our devotional material called Do It For A Day. And Mark Batterson shares six habits throughout the book that are really essential. He says here are some habits that we need if we're going to make and break the habits that are in our life. How many of you can say there's probably some habits I need to break? Anybody recognize some things? And maybe you say there's some holy habits I need to create in my life so I can draw closer to the Lord. And on January the first or January the second, our first Sunday of the year, we talked about kind of setting the pace for this year of 21 days of prayer and fasting. We said we want to create margin because I need time, I need energy, and I need resources, right? If I am constantly rushing around, if I'm constantly running from day to day, moment to moment, event to event, and I don't have time to pray, and I don't have time to think, and I don't have time to plan, then I am way too busy. And I need to create some margin so I can live on mission. Because God has called us, amen. You're not here just to exist. You're here on purpose. God has a purpose and a plan for each and every one of us. And let me just encourage you in this. If you don't know what God's plan for your life is, let me help you out. I'm going to give it to you really three very simple steps here today. Win souls, make disciples, destroy the works of the devil. If you'll get up every day and say, God, I want to connect my life to something that's going to reach people with the gospel. I want to connect my life to something that's going to help make disciples and grow people in their faith. And I want to connect my life to something that's going to help people find freedom from the power of the enemy. Then guess what? If you will do that every day, you'll live on mission. 
And here's what I found out in my own personal life. If I will connect myself to God's big picture, then I will find my individual peace. If I'll connect myself to God's big picture, I'll find my individual peace in the puzzle because I have a piece in the puzzle. Amen? And you have a piece in the puzzle. But I'm never going to find my peace until I connect to God's big picture, which is winning souls, making disciples, destroying the works of the enemy. So let me encourage you as we press into what God is doing in our lives, let's say, God, help me create margin. Help me live on mission so that my life can matter. Come on, somebody. So that my life can matter. So let's talk about one of those habits today. We're going to look at two of them that he shares with us. The first habit, if you look on your outline, the first habit we need in order to create and break habits is called flip the script. I love Mark Batterson. He's one of my favorite writers, one of my favorite communicators. And I love the ideas and images that he paints in our mind. we got to flip the script. Listen to what he says. If you want to change your life, You have to change the story you tell yourself. If you want to change your life, you have to change the story that you tell yourself. Of all the habits that he talks about in his book, I think this is the most significant one because I think this is a foundational habit that is necessary for our lives to become what God has called them to be. We've all heard the definition of insanity. Insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. I'm going to drill down a little deeper and let me give you a deeper definition of insanity. Insanity is thinking the same thoughts you all always thought and expecting something new to happen unless you change the story you tell yourself in your mind unless you change the internal conversations that you have with yourself you will never change if you keep telling yourself the same story you'll still you'll keep living the same scenario over and over and over again he shares some scientific research science has now proven that the average american our average person not just american average person has 60,000 thoughts a day think about that 60 thousand thoughts. I mean, I look at David and I think he probably can't have more than 10, but 60,000 thoughts a day. Thank you for letting me pick on you today. He just looked like he had a target on him there for a second. So 60,000 thoughts a day. And then here's what they found out. They found out not only do we have 60,000 thoughts a day, but 80% of our thoughts are negative. It's no wonder that we're stuck in habits that we can't get free of. It's no wonder that we're living in dead-end cycles where we're reliving and reliving the pain of yesterday because we can't seem to find the newness of life that God has for us today. Because if 80% of the thoughts you think about yourself, and if 80% of the thoughts that you think about other people, and if 80% of the thoughts that you think about God, and if 80% of the thoughts that you think about your life are negative... Let me just tell you something. You're in trouble. You're in trouble because you're in a place where there is a downward spiral where you are telling a story where there is no winner and there is no hero and there is no success. But if we can let God rewrite the script, if we can let him flip the script that we tell ourselves in our own minds, it is amazing what God can do. Proverbs 23, verse 7 is an amazing verse of Scripture. It says, For as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. 
And over and over in Scripture, we find that simple truth. Over and over in Scripture, we're encouraged to renew our minds, to change the way we think, to gird up the loins of our mind. Why? Because as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. It's the thoughts that you think about yourself. Let me give you just a simple revelation this morning. It's what you say to yourself that matters more than what other people say about you. Now the problem is, is we live in a social media society and we have a whole generation now that has built their entire identity, value, and worth on what other people say about them. How many likes, how many shares, and how many comments did I get on that post that I made? And all of a sudden we have wrapped ourselves up in the words and affirmation of other people and we have failed to recognize this. I want you to hear me. We have placed way too much value on what other people say. And we have not placed enough value on what we say to ourselves. It's that internal conversation that you have in your mind every single day that determines whether you come up and become who God has called you to be. Or whether you continue to spiral down and live in regret and worry the rest of your life. So we have to flip the script. Look at that next point. I want you to see this. Because it's not just the thoughts that we think that matter. But our expectations, or our, excuse me, our explanations of life are more important than our experiences. When I read that in the book, I thought, that is so powerful. Our explanations of our life are actually more important than our experiences that we had. Think about it. We know this is true. How do we know it's true? Because we've all seen two people go through the same experience. You ever seen that? You ever seen two people go through the same experience and one person comes out on the other side and they're stronger and they're better and they're happier than they've ever been and the other person comes out on the other side of the exact experience and they're broken and they're depressed and they're discouraged and they're hopeless? How is it that two people can go through exactly the same thing and have totally different results? It really comes down to the story that they tell themselves, how they explain in their mind, the experience of their life determines whether that experience makes or whether that experience breaks their life. If you don't change the story, you'll never change your life. So it's those explanations. I want you to look at this next part. Three things the Holy Spirit said to me. He said, Keith, he said, if our experience explanations of our experience look at this make us the victim then we're telling the wrong story have you ever heard people talk about their life and the reason that their life is bad and the reason that their life stinks and the reason that nothing ever works out is because they're the victim, right? I'm not smart enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not educated enough. I don't have the right connections. I didn't come from the right family. I don't have enough money. And all of a sudden, you find out that if you are the victim in your story, you're telling the wrong story. If you're the victim, you're telling the wrong story. But not only do we have to explain our story accurately, but listen to this. If your explanation makes us the enemy, think about this. How many times have we heard people say, well, you know what? I'm the problem. And my family would just be better off without me. They'd just be better off. You know, I'm the problem. 
I'm the reason everybody's hurting. I'm the reason everybody's in pain. I'm the reason bad things are happening in our family. Let me just tell you something today. If your explanation of the story makes you the problem, then you're telling the wrong story. You're telling the wrong story. Because let me give you, let me give you a clue into how the enemy works. If I'm the problem, then there's no hope. If the problem with my marriage is me, well, then my marriage can't get better because I can't escape me. If the problem with my family is me, then I'm the problem and I can't do anything about me, so nothing's going to change. If my problem financially is me, then nothing can change. But if I recognize that, guess what? I, I'm not the problem. I'm not the enemy. How many know there is an enemy? His name is the devil, right? There is an enemy, and his name is the devil, and you're not him. And guess what? There is a God, and he is mighty, and he is good, and you're not him either. <laughs> you're not God, and you're not the devil. Guess what? You have a part to play in the story, but you're not the enemy. And if the story you tell yourself makes you the problem and the pain, then you're telling the wrong story. And then last but not least, I want you to see this. If our explanation of our life means that somehow God is the source of our pain, then you're telling the wrong story. I hear people all the time tell this story, why is God doing this to me? If when you explain the negative circumstances of your life, when bad things happen to good people and your explanation in your mind is that somehow God is against you or somehow God doesn't love you or somehow God doesn't hear your prayers or somehow God doesn't see your need, then all of a sudden you recognize I'm telling the wrong story. And here's what happens. Look at this next little part, this last part of this point. See, the fact that we're telling the wrong story means this. It means that we have believed the lies of the enemy, and we have to let God rewrite our story. I love Jeremiah 8, verse 5. Listen to what the Scripture says. God is speaking to the children of Israel. And if you back up a couple verses, he says, Is there no bomb in Gilead? What does that even mean? Gilead was the pharmaceutical capital of the world at that time. And basically God is saying, hey, there's healing in me, but my people aren't healed. There's deliverance in me, but my people aren't delivered. There's redemption in me, but my people aren't redeemed. There's provision in me, but my people are living in lack. God says, why? Look what he says. He says, why do these people stay on their self-destructive paths? Why do the people of Jerusalem refuse to turn back? Why are they on self-destructive paths? Why do they have habits? that are continually destroying their lives instead of habits that are bringing them. Why are they still sick when I'm their healer? Why are they still bound when I'm their deliverer? Why are they still broke when I'm their provider? Why are they still living in hopelessness when I am their peace and their joy? And here's the answer. Look how he answers it. They cling tightly to their lives, and they will not turn around. Every self-destructive path that you and I have ever been on can be connected to a lie. As I was thinking through this and looking at my own life, I realized something this week. I realized that every time, think about this, every time I personally have ever had a breakthrough in my life, every time I've ever went to a new level of life and living in God, every time two things have had to happen. Every breakthrough and every advancement in my walk with Jesus has come through these two things. The first one is there was a lie that had to be broken. And there was a truth that had to be embraced. 
Every time I've broke through, every time I've stepped into a new place of intimacy and promotion with Jesus Christ, every single time I can look back and I can realize the thing that was keeping me from that place before was there was a lie that had to be broken and there was a truth that had to be embraced. So we've got to let God rewrite our story. Well, how do we do that? I'm glad you asked. Look at that next point. We have to be willing to give God editorial control. We have to be willing to give God editorial control. Now, you guys know for the last several years I've been writing books. And when I started writing books, I recognized something. I recognized that I have horrible grammar. <laughs> and that I don't know the difference between a comma and a period and a semicolon. And so as I started writing books, I started incorporating people that were editors. I mean, it's amazing. There are some people, they can look at a piece of paper, and in a second, it's like the Holy Spirit highlights every grammatical error on the page. I'm not that person. <laughs> I'm like, oh yeah, that looks good. <laughs> but this is what I found out working with, with, with editors. This is what I found out. I love working with editors. You know why? Because they make me sound smarter than I really am. And I go back and I read it, and I'm like, man, that's good. <laughs> Boy, I would have never said that. That's really good. I like that. That's good. Let me tell you what will happen if you'll give God editorial control over your life. He'll make you smarter than you really are. He'll make you smart, stronger than you really are. He'll make you better than you really are. When God writes your story, guess what? You're not the villain, and you're not the problem. Now, now here's the realization. God's Batman and we're always Robin. <laughs> He's the hero of the story. But we get to be his partner. <laughs> right? We get to be on the winning side. Right? May not have all the gadgets Batman has, but at least we're not nobody. We're somebody. Come on, somebody. Amen. There you go. So here's the realization, guys. You recognize that when you give God editorial control, God begins to rewrite your story. God begins to mark out the things that don't belong. And he begins to rewrite the things that do belong. The second thing that has to happen if we're going to let God rewrite our story is we have to allow the voice of the Holy Spirit, listen to this, to become the loudest voice in our life. Let me tell you two ways that happens. Number one, it's called the Bible. The more time you spend reading his verse, the louder you'll hear his voice. As a matter of fact, the verse, the Bible, is the volume knob to the Holy Spirit. If you want to turn up the volume, then read the Bible. And the more time you spend in the Scripture, the more in tune and more clarity you will have in hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit. The verse gives clarity to the voice and all of a sudden you'll begin to hear it like you've never heard it before that's why 21 days of prayer and fasting and spending time every day in the word is so important I'll never forget several years ago I had an opportunity to go out to California to be a part of a Celebrate Recovery Summit and as I was there we were staying with some folks that were hosting us and as we were talking with them over the week we were there for about three days the last night we were there they said we need to ask you a question I said okay they said well as we've been listening to y'all talk it actually sounds like God speaks to you I said well that's easy he does they're like, you mean you really hear the voice of God? Absolutely. Every day. 
And this is what I found out. The more time I spend in here, the more clearly I hear him in here. And he begins to speak with greater volume. And I just want to tell you something. If you want to turn up the volume of the Holy Spirit, you've got to digest the verse and the scripture and spend time at the feet of Jesus. And here's the good news. It doesn't matter what kind of learner you are today. Technology says if I can't read good, I can listen well. And if I can't read and listen well, I can look and listen and read all at the same time because we have opportunities now today to digest the Word of God and have the verse become voice so we can hear what God is saying. The second way we turn up the volume, Psalms 86 verse 10 says, Be still and know that I am God. It's just just creating some quiet places. It's turning off the distractions. It's silencing the cell phone, turning off the notification, and locking the door so the kids can't come in. It's just doing what you got to do to get along with God. And let me just go ahead and encourage you in this. It's going to take more than five minutes because for the first five minutes, your brain is going to tell you all the things you need to be doing instead of sitting here waiting to hear the voice of God. But if you'll persevere past about five minutes, somewhere between five and ten minutes, you'll begin to hear the whisper of the Holy Spirit, and God will begin to affirm your heart, and God will begin to show you things you have never even imagined. Just because you were willing to be still and turn up the volume. Let me tell you why, because God doesn't shout. So if you're going to hear a whisper, you got to lean in. Somebody said, I don't know why God whispers. i tell you why. Because he wants you to lean in. He doesn't want you just to hear his voice. He wants you to come near his heart. So he can know you and be known by you. And then last but not least, we have to allow the scripture to become the script. We've got to begin to let God's word. I am who God says I am. I can do what God says I can do. God's word has to become the script. Anything that I believe about myself, any story that I tell myself that does not line up with the truth of God's word, God's character, and God's nature is a lie from the pit of hell that needs to be cast down and removed from my life. So I've got to give God editorial control. I've got to turn up the volume of the Holy Spirit. And I've got to let the scripture become the script that defines my life. I am who he says I am. I have what he says I have, and I can do what he says I can do, because God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. He's a good father, amen? Look at that next point. Let's talk about another habit. The second habit that we need in order to create or break habits, I love this one, is called eat the frog. (laughs) Kind of paints an image in your brain, doesn't it? Eat the frog. He, he talks, if you're doing the devotional, you started learning about that today. Eat the frog. What does it mean to eat the frog? <clears throat> Listen to this. He said, if we want God to do the super, then we have to do the natural. If we want God to do the super, we have to do the natural. We got to be willing to eat the frog. We got to be willing to do the difficult things. If you want to see signs, wonders, and miracles, how many of you believe God's a God of signs, wonders, and miracles? Let me just tell you, if you're looking for signs, wonders, and miracles, you're in the right place because this is a sign, wonder, and miracle church. Rob, why don't you wave at everybody right back there? 
Rob, right there, y'all look at him. Y'all ought to go talk to this gentleman after church today. Two weeks ago, he was diagnosed with an incurable rare heart disease. Two days ago, he went to UAB, had a PET scan. Friday evening, they called him and said, everything we saw two weeks ago is no longer there. Your heart is healthy and whole, and you're healed. Incurable. But God. But if we want God to do the super, guess what? we got to do the natural. If we want God to do what we can't do, we have to be willing to do what we can do. we got to eat the frog. Think about this. Eating the frog means refusing to take shortcuts, detours. It means refusing to take shortcuts or detours. Let me tell you something. And when you're on a 21 day of prayer and fasting, your brain will give you every shortcut and detour to fasting food. Your brain will give you every excuse on how you can avoid the pain. And how you can slip by. You can still do what you said you were going to do, but kind of not really. But it'll sure taste good. Any of my fasting friends relate with me today? And so when we eat the frog, we say, you know what? I'm not going to take a shortcut. And I'm not going to take a detour. How many of you thankful today Jesus didn't take a shortcut? Do you remember when Peter cut off the ear of the servant when they were in the Garden of Gethsemane? And Jesus said, put your sword up. Don't you know I could call for my father and he'd send legions of angels? He said, we could end this thing right now. Listen to me. Jesus said, I don't have to go to the cross. I choose to go to the cross. But Jesus refused to take a shortcut. He refused to take a detour. Even in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, your will be done. You know what Jesus said? I'm going to eat the frog. Mark Twain said, if you got to eat a frog, you ought to do it first thing in the morning. <laughs> what does that mean? It means you ought to do the hard things first. How do you know after you eat the frog, you've already won the day? Come on, somebody. Everything else is going to be easy. <laughs> Everything else is going to be easy once you eat the frog. you got to recognize, hey, if we want God to do what we can't do, we have to do what we can do. We have to be willing, listen to this, to stay the path and do the work that God has required of us. There are no shortcuts in the kingdom of God. See, God, let me just tell you something that I don't really like about God, but I love about God. Here's what it is. God loves process. God loves the process of developing us. And back in the day when you used to develop film, they used to take the film into the dark room. And the film was developed in the dark. And then it was brought into the light so everybody could enjoy the beauty. I want to tell you something today. God develops us best in the dark. It's in the secret places where God does his finest work in our lives. And we got to be willing to eat the frog. Look at that next point, if you will. The obstacle is not the problem. It's the path. 
The obstacle's not the problem, it's the path. When Jesus looked at the cross, Jesus recognized the cross was not a problem that I needed to avoid. It was the path I needed to take. And let me just go ahead and tell you something that is counter-cultural to our selfie, self-centered society. God will lead you through pain and sorrow to help somebody else. It ain't always about you. God will take you down a path where there is difficulty, where there is obstacles, where there is resistance. Think about Jesus, where there's mockery and there's betrayal and there's ridicule and there's whippings and ultimately there's death. And Jesus did all that he did, not for his redemption, but for ours. Not for his salvation, but for ours. And God not only loves you, God loves everybody. And a lot of times what God, the path God will take you down is intended not just for your good, but for the good of the people that are coming behind you. I'm so glad Brother Rod and Mary, who are spiritual fathers to Kelly and I, one of the best things that Brother Rod does in my life is he shares his failures. It makes me feel so good. To know that he struggled and he failed and he struggled and he failed and he struggled and he failed. And many times he said, Pastor Keith, I don't know what I'd do if I was you, but let me tell you what not to do. <laughs> I did that. It didn't work. And you know what I love about that? I love, about the, I love the idea that in, in, in that moment of transparency, that I recognize that, that I can glean from his mistakes. And I don't have to repeat the pattern that he walked in. And he may not have went through that for himself, but praise God, he went through it for me. And I think about the lessons we get to share. Think about it for all of you that have kids and grandkids. Boy, you've told your kids, hey, I don't know what to do, but let me tell you what, don't do. <laughs> don't do that. I love talking to young married men. I got a lot of don't do that. Don't say that. Don't do that. Don't go there. And you know what's great about that? Is we recognize something. We recognize it was through the obstacle, not around it. It was through the pain. It was through the struggle. It was through the challenges that you faced that you learned some of the greatest lessons that have marked your life. And not only have they marked your life, but those are the things that you now invest in and tell the people behind you all about. So the obstacle is not the problem is the path. Jesus endured the cross because he saw the prize. Listen to this next little statement. The captain of our salvation, the Bible says, was made perfect through suffering. Easy is not an option, but we can't lose unless we quit. Easy is not really an option. There's no easy button in the kingdom. And it may not be easy, but it's worth it. For all the mamas, how many mamas in the house today? Got any mamas in the house? All you mamas know this. It's not easy birthing babies. But it's worth it. You know why men don't have babies? Because the human race would have died a long time ago. We're a bunch of wimps. But all you mamas, it ain't easy. But it's worth it. And then you say, when are we going to have another one? You usually make those decisions before they're teenagers, which is good. 
Anybody in here married more than 10 years? How many of you know if you're going to build a lasting marriage, it ain't easy? But it's worth it. There's been hard times. There's been difficult times. There's been times you wanted to kill each other, and praise God you didn't. It wasn't easy. But you know what I know? You talk to all those hands that went up, and I promise you, you'll probably not find one couple, maybe one, but probably not even one, <laughs> that would trade it for anything. Wouldn't trade it for nothing. It wasn't easy, but it was worth it. It was worth it. And look what God has done in light of our perseverance through the hard times. We get to enjoy some good times together. If you've ever done the will of God, if you've ever built a dream or a vision that God gave you, whether it's a business, whether it's a church, whether it's a ministry, whatever it is, let me tell you what you know to be true. You know it wasn't easy, but it's worth it. And all of a sudden, when you recognize eating the frog is about realizing that, it's about making a predetermined decision that I'm going to do the hard thing because it's the right thing to get me to the place God has called me to be. And I love Jesus' life, death, and his story. Let me tell you why. Because it blows out of the water this idea. There's this idea in Christianity that if I just do the will of God perfectly, it will be easy. That's absolutely not true. Jesus perfectly did the will of the Father. And they crucified him and nailed him to a cross. He never varied one step. And they crucified him and nailed him to a cross. And then the Bible says something. I alluded to it in our notes. Look with me in Hebrews chapter 2 verse 10. It says, for it was fitting for him, speaking of God, for whom are all things and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory. That's me and you. This is how God is going to bring us into his glory. Look what it says. In bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation, that's Jesus, perfect through suffering. Now think about that statement for just a second. The Bible says that God made Jesus perfect through suffering. Now, we know Jesus was perfect, which means typically as we talk about that, he was without sin. But the word perfect here in the, in the Greek means to be brought to completion or maturity. So Jesus was perfect without sin, but he wasn't fully what God had called him to be until he endured the cross and rose again. He was perfected by suffering. And here's what I know to be true about many Christians. A lot of Christians are living a life and they're not in sin, but they're also not mature. They're not doing the bad things, but they're also not doing the God thing that he's called for them. And let me tell you, 99% of the reason why is because somewhere along the line it got hard. Somewhere along the line there was resistance. They begin to press into the will of God. They begin to press into the calling of God. They begin to press in to what God had purposed and planned for them to do. And all of a sudden, it got hard, and it got difficult, and it got challenging, and they got hurt, and they said, I'm going to stop. And they're not in sin. But they're not being perfected either. They're not fully becoming who God called them to be. 
Because without resistance, there is really no lasting growth. Look at that last point on your outline. So eating the frog means making decisions against yourself. I love that little phrase, making decisions against yourself. Why do I need to make decisions against myself? Because you want to make a life for yourself. Hey, if you want to have financial prosperity tomorrow, guess what? You've got to have a budget today. If you want to have a lasting marriage tomorrow, you've got to be selfless today. If you want to have a thriving business tomorrow, you probably got to be broke for a few days. <laughs> Cut every corner and pay everybody else but yourself. Just to prop it up long enough till that business can finally get on its own feet and begin to stand and support your family. So you've got to make decisions against yourself. If you want to grow in your relationship with God and you want to develop maturity in Christ, then you've got to be willing to pray and fast and study the Scripture and you've got to be willing to make a commitment and show up even when it's hard. I can't tell you how many young people I've sat down with, young men many times in their 20s, who say, Pastor Keith, there's a call of God on my life. And I can't tell you how many times I've seen those guys take one step forward and resistance comes, physical problems, financial problems, relational problems. And I can't tell you how many of those young men I've seen step back. Well, I didn't know it was going to be hard. Absolutely. There's no easy button. It's not easy, but hear me, it is worth it. And I gotta make some decisions against myself. I gotta say no to 30 minutes of extra sleep so I can say yes to spending time at the feet of Jesus. I gotta say no to the television so I can say yes to a face-to-face -face conversation with my wife. I've gotta say no to scrolling on social media so I can put my face in the Word of God and turn the volume up on the voice of the Holy Spirit. I've got to make decisions against me so I can build a life for me. And it's not easy, but it's worth it. 1 Corinthians 10, 23, last scripture I want to read to you today. We're going to close with this. The Apostle Paul says this. He says, you say I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. You say I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. I want to ask you a question today. What are you doing now in your life that's permissible, but it's not beneficial? See, the truth is, let's just be honest. You can do anything you want to do. I can eat anything I want to eat. I can drink anything I want to drink. I can smoke anything I want to smoke. I can watch anything on TV I want to watch. I can look at anything on the Internet I want to look at. I can treat you any way I want to treat you, and I can act any way I want to act, and I can think any way I want to think. And you can too. As a matter of fact, there's nobody stopping you from doing anything that you just really want to do. No matter how horrible, painful, detrimental it is. And if you've ever raised teenagers, you know it doesn't matter how many parameters and walls you build. If they want to do it. And I know that because you were a teenager one time. 
But what Paul says is just because I can do it doesn't mean I need to. Just because it's permissible doesn't mean it's profitable in my life. And eating the frog means that I'm going to look at my life and I'm going to recognize, you know what, there are some things that I can do, but I don't need to do. Not because maybe, not even because maybe they're sin, but just because they're a waste of my time and my energy and my resources. I'm using my margin on things that don't matter, and God's mission for my life is coming short. Think about your life. Think about the goals and the dreams and the vision that you have for you, and then ask yourself a question. Are your daily decisions profitable for your long-term goals because if you can't say yes they are then you need to make a decision against yourself today you need to say I'm going to decide today to say no to what I can do so I can say yes to what I've been called to do see because I don't think this is about preference I think this is about calling I think your life matters I think you were created with a purpose I think that your life is intended not only to be good for you and your family, but to make a difference in the kingdom of God. Remember on that very first Sunday of the year, we said personal accomplishment should produce kingdom advancement. And if it doesn't, I'm pursuing the wrong things. Now let me give you some good news, because all that's kind of heavy. Here's the good news. You don't have to eat a frog every day. <laughs> Isn't that good? Every day doesn't have a hard decision. Every day doesn't have a difficult choice. Every day isn't a frog-eating day. But you got to make a pre-decision. you got to decide in advance that when the day comes, I'm going to eat the frog. I'm going to eat the frog. I'm going to do the hard thing, the difficult thing, the challenging thing. And I'm going to keep doing it until I come out on the other side with the prize and the promise that God has ordained for my life because the obstacle is not a thing I need to go around it's the path I need to go through and I'm not taking a shortcut and I'm not taking a detour I'm gonna set my face I love that scripture in, in the Gospels about Jesus when it came time for him to be crucified and go to Jerusalem the Bible says he set his face to Jerusalem and wouldn't be distracted let's bow our heads today I want to challenge you two things today. First thing is, are you letting God flip the script? What are the stories you're telling yourself? What are the explanations you're giving yourself? What are the thoughts that you're thinking that need to be edited out by the Holy Spirit? Turn up the volume today. Let the scripture become the script by which you begin to build and write the story of your life. Because his story is now your story. Because you've been adopted into the family of God. The second thing I want to challenge you with, is there anything in your life that's permissible, but it's not profitable? Maybe you just need to eat the frog today. Maybe there's some hard things. Maybe there's a hard decision. Maybe there's a hard conversation you've been avoiding and you know there's no way to come out on the other side unless I go through it, not around it. 
I want to challenge you today. Let's say, God, today I'm going to make a pre-decision. I'm going to eat the frog. I'm going to do the hard things because they're going to produce the best things that you have for me. The last thing I want to do is if you're here today or you're watching online and you say, you know what, Pastor Keith? I've never heard the voice of God. And I realize today it's because I don't know God. I've never accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, but today's my day. And the Holy Spirit's dealing with you. I haven't been, quote, talking about salvation, but God's been talking to you about it. Because He loves you. And He's calling you right now unto Himself. And He says, whosoever would believe in their heart and confess with their mouth could be saved. And that you can come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. If that's you today. And you say, Pastor Keith, I've never been saved, but today I want to give my life to Christ. I want you just to, real simply, with every head bowed, every eye closed, just to raise your hand. Today I want to accept Christ as my Lord and Savior. If you're watching online, just hit that hand emoji, type in the chat box. I'm raising my hand. We want to pray with you. I'm raising my hand. I want to accept Christ as my Lord and Savior. We're going to pray together with those in the room and those of you watching online. Let's say it out loud together. If you would, just repeat after me. Dear Heavenly Father, I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Rose again on the third day. I confess I'm a sinner. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart and my life. Be my Lord and my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Prayed that prayer today. Welcome to the family. We love you. God bless you guys. Let me remind you two things. If you're interested in small groups, you can stop by the information center. If you've never been through an encounter retreat in our grow class, you need to stop by the information center and get connected today uh, because you don't want to miss the next encounter retreat. God bless you guys. We love you. Next Sunday, what's everybody going to bring? Food. Food. Soup and chili. There you go. Love you guys. Have a blessed day.